Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us today on Clean Break, uh, the divorce podcast, uh, a place where you can find all the answers to your many complex questions surrounding divorce and separation. I am Darren Javad, the chair of DivorceNet and the host of the show. And with me is Tina Marie, DivorceNet's vice chair and co-host of the show. So, morning, Tina. Good morning, Darren. And uh, who do we have on the show today? So today we have Andre Bolduc. He is with BDO Canada. He is a senior vice president, and uh, he's going to be speaking to us about insolvency and uh, sp- specifically speaking to divorce through that as well. So that's really good. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. good morning, Andre. Good morning to you, Darren. Good morning, Tina. Good morning. And thanks for joining us on the show today. Um, so yeah, let's uh, start things off a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Andre. Um, Well, I'm a licensed insolvency trustee. Uh, A lot of people ask me, what is a licensed insolvency trustee? Um, In a nutshell, what it is is that uh, we're the only federally licensed professionals in Canada uh, that can help people in financial difficulty that have death issues. So we can deal with almost any kind of debts, including income tax, student loans, uh, and um, credit cards, lines of credits, etc. when you seek our help, we have the ability to cease legal action if uh, there are any of those. And we have a duty to examine all debt solutions with you and your options. Um, and most importantly, only a licensed insolvency uh, trustee can file a bankruptcy or consumer proposal on your behalf. And uh, as a bonus, uh, anyone can meet a licensed insolvency trustee in their community at no cost, typically. That's good. So, how long have you been doing this? Uh, I've been doing this for 25 years now. Okay. Uh, Sounds like a serious job. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> it is. Um, you know, I got an early start. I was fresh out of school. I'm a chartered accountant by training. And uh, when I came out of school, I, in the early 90s, I helped out on the insolvency side because uh, insolvency proceedings were spiking at that time. Mm. And uh, it never let up. And... Uh, you know, I quite enjoyed uh, doing the insolvency work. It was quite a discovery and, you know, it stuck. Good. Well, that's good. Um, so what is it you like most about, about what it is you do? Like with the actual job, it's public per se. Um, well, a couple of things. One, personally, I find it uh, very interesting because it gives me an opportunity to use uh, my problem-solving skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get to work with people, right, as opposed to just doing accounting, which can get kind of dry. And you get exposed to all kinds of industries, businesses, and people in all kinds of careers. And, uh, you know, that's why it's kept me interested for 25 years. Hmm. You know, in terms of dealing with <clears throat> people, um, you know, I, I get at cocktail parties or discussion, people say, oh, it must be very negative. You're dealing with people in financial difficulty all the time. Actually, it's quite the opposite. Uh, we've done research and we know that people will struggle for months uh, with their debt worries, uh, in even years. So when they do finally decide to call you or reach out to you, they're looking for a solution. And we can provide those. Um, and the thing I hear over and over from our clients is, uh, you know, they were afraid of being judged and they weren't. So they feel really good about that. And they always say they wish they would have sought us out sooner. Um, and to me, this is all positive stuff. Yeah, from a financial side, I mean, it's got to be really scary. Like, I mean, I've never gone through it myself, but, you know, I mean, I think all of us have had financial problems at one point in our lives. I don't think anyone's bulletproof in that kind of, like, scenario. But when you're going through it, um, I think there's, like you were saying, there's probably a little bit of shame there. If people feel, like, very vulnerable about, you know, like, they feel like they failed, 
or something. So having somebody to listen to, I'm sure, is is really important in your business. You got to be able to listen to their story, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, especially in today's environment, uh, it's very easy to get credit, and mm-hmm. it's very easy to get sidetracked. People don't like to budget and do those things. Mm. Um, <clears> That's like yeah, <laughs> and it's like anything else, right? Uh, you know, if people have health issues or Sometimes you tend to put it aside until it becomes very grave. And it's the same thing with finances, I find. Sometimes I even find it's worse with finance, especially when you're dealing uh, in a couple and you have to share things. It often creates conflict. And for some reason, money is very personal. Mm -hmm. Uh, People put a lot of worth into that, and uh, they're not as open about that. So that also helps when you seek my help, because I'm that independent third party that can kind of get in there and help. So. Impartial, not emotionally attached. Mm-hmm. Correct. You're not, you're not, it's not emotional to you, whereas I've always said that to uh, the most important things to most people in life are their money and their family, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So when you're dealing with a stressful situation financially, it has an impact on your family as well. So having somebody that can come into the situation and be impartial and not emotionally attached is very yeah. helpful or judge or, or judgmental judgment. right yeah. so yeah. and that's what i think a lot of people <clears throat> feel and that's why they wait so long is that people will judge them and they don't want to admit it to themselves let alone their friends and family or anyone else yeah, yeah. so yeah and there's the whole dynamic in the couple too um you know i i i read an interesting article about this at one point uh you know, if you put two spenders, they get together, one would become a spender, the other one a saver. Mm-hmm. Like, it happens naturally. And uh, when you don't have good communication, you can see how conflicts arise. Right. You know, whenever I do events or trade shows or, you know, I have discussions with couples, that's often one of my openers is, oh, who's the spender and who's the saver in the couple? You know, and they look at me, it's like, how did you know? <laughs> but that's the reality in, in all relationships. So a little bit psychologist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a little yeah, bit yeah, of that yeah, too. Yeah, therapist. Yeah, therapist. therapist. <laughs> and, and so do you find that sometimes when you have people coming into your into your office or meeting with people um, who are going through a financial situation um, that you do sometimes feel like you should hang a sign outside your office that says, you know, insolvency trustee and therapist? Uh, yes. <laughs> you know, and you know what? It's a good thing. You like to get stuff out on the table. And for a lot of people, there's a lot of pent up emotion there. So yeah, it's, it's very emotional. There, you know, there's the odd tears and, uh, mm-hmm. I often do get, uh, hugs and thank you letters afterwards. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's near and dear to people's hearts. So I have a question just about sort of the whole process. A couple comes to you or a single person comes to you, whoever does, um, and they uh, are looking at their finances, is it automatically when they come to you, is it bankruptcy? Is that is that where they go when they come into you or are there other options? What's? No, I, there are other options. Um, look, of all the leads we get or people that reach out to us, I would say probably half will actually meet. Um, once we deal with the initial inquiry and kind of screen it and see, okay, what's going on here? And of the people we meet, uh, maybe half will do formal proceedings. You know, there's a lot of people that we meet that, uh, you know, they just need to, to firm up their budget a little bit or there are solutions. Um, sometimes they may have uh, equity in the home, for example, and it's just a question of referring them to a mortgage broker to, uh, to refinance, free up a bit of money, and to make sure it gets applied at the right place. Um, as I said, other times it's just... Uh, getting some other professional to help. 
Um, sometimes they may have too much house. Maybe they need to sell. They need to downsize. Um, a lot of people are getting in trouble with uh, very long-term loans on cars now. We're talking right. seven, eight years. Yeah. And sometimes people are getting too much car. So uh, sometimes there's possibilities there. Sometimes we combine those things with a consumer proposal. So it all depends. Every situation is unique and uh, very often we'll refer out. Um, it, it is possible for some people to get a consolidation loan as well sometimes. So what is the process? So like, that's, a, that's a really good question, Tina, that you just asked. I'm curious. Um, so take, take some people through the process like here. Like, so you get some, a client that walks in and they've got some debt issues. Uh, and they're worried, you know, they're getting phone calls probably from people telling them to pay and, you know, uh, they're avoiding those probably. And so they're, you know, um, they're upset about that. But now they realize there's kind of like they've hit a wall. They have to deal with it. So they come and see you. So look, I guess, first of all, they, they make a phone call. They find out, ask some questions online and then they come and see you. Is that right? Yeah. They'll reach out to us online or on the phone. Mm -hmm. Typically, we'll follow up with an email and we'll send some uh, basic information to them and ask them to fill out. Um, an application form the best they can. Now, right. Some of them fill it completely, others not so much. Doesn't matter. You come into our office, we'll typically meet with you for an hour. Mm -hmm. And what we do is uh, with everyone, we go through what all their assets are. Okay, what do you own? How much you own it? What's it worth? Uh, we then determine what's exempt from your creditors, what's seizable, that type of thing. Okay. Then secondly, we look at what all your debts are. So. All your credit cards, lines of credits, mortgages, student loans, income tax debt, all of it. Any any money obligation, we want to know about it. We categorize it. And then the third component is we do a budget with you. What's the income coming in, you know, from all sources, employment, child support, child tax credit, et cetera, et cetera, pensions. Then we look at all your expenses uh, for living, you know housing, clothing, food, et cetera, et cetera. And then you basically do income <laughs> less expenses and you see how much is left to service the debt. And then it becomes very apparent when you look at the debt load and how much is left to serve the, the debt, if there's enough there right, right. or not. More often there is not enough. Okay. So then we have to look is, can you restructure that debt by yourself or budget better? Or we'll know by looking at the budget and the size of your household, you know, you're spending way too much or, you know, this item here, tell me about that. Um, so once you go through that exercise, then we can look at the options. Number one is, can you budget your way out? Mm -hmm. Number two, can you consolidate or restruct, you know, trade in some high interest credit card for something at a lower rate so the payment will fit in the budget? Uh, then the third possibility, if that doesn't work, is can you do credit counseling through a non-for-profit agency? You know, they, they can do a proposal for you and they can get some interest reduced. It's kind of like a proposal. Um, and if any of those three options don't work, then we look at can you do a consumer proposal? That's where you can pay a portion of what you owe, right? We do that over five years. Um, now, what you're going to pay to your creditors will depend on your income. Um, you know, we have people that will do proposals for 20 cents on the dollar, others 30 cents on the dollar. In some cases, it may be 100 cents on the dollar. But the key is interest stops. We find an affordable payment. 
and you typically pay that monthly over the next five years. I didn't know about the uh, interest stops. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. And once you're done your proposal payments, you get a certificate of for performance. So yeah, you paid 30 cents on the dollar. The other 70 is written off, provided you did everything you had to in the consumer proposal. And um, consumer proposals have very high success rates. I, I estimate that about 80% of them are successful. Um, and, you know, uh, the last resort is bankruptcy mm -hmm. for people that, that can't do a proposal. And you know what? For some people, that's the appropriate thing to do. So if they have a very low income you know, and there's nothing available in the budget, mm -hmm. you know, we'll look at that. Um, a lot of times there's no assets to be lost or that are realizable. So, so but they still pay, make some payments, do they not, during a bankruptcy? Uh, they do. Uh, there will be a minimum payment. There's a minimum we charge in every bankruptcy. Uh, typically, it'll be 200 to $240 a month. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's the minimum. And you're going to pay that for uh, anywhere from nine months to 36 months. Okay. Depending if it's your first bankruptcy and you have no surplus income in your budget, that's nine months. If it's a repeat bankruptcy and you have a little bit more cash flow, uh, it'll take a little bit longer. We go through that with people as well. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about divorce and um, and the whole bankruptcy issue or where you become involved. I guess there's like lots of things you must see in your office, but do you see people coming in already divorced declaring bankruptcy? Do you see people coming in on the verge of divorce? And like what, what kind of situations do you see? How do you guide them through this? Uh, you know, a husband and wife come in and um, I've seen lots of people where you know only one person has declared bankruptcy. The the, the marriage the marriage has dissolved. Um, one of the spouses has declared bankruptcy throughout the separation process. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I've been through every scenario. Okay, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> All the way from a couple coming to see us like this week, uh, planning to separate and have not done it yet, and wanting to deal with their affairs. All the way down to yes, getting one of the two declaring bankruptcy after a separation agreement and they're still fighting. So I've seen the whole gamut, if you will, you know, and each situation has their challenges. Ideally, you know, you want people to deal with this as soon as possible um, because, you know, there's more to work with and, you know, the likelihood of a positive and a win-win outcome is, uh, is more likely when people are proactive. Obviously, if they only come as a very last resort after they fought for years and may have spent a lot on legal fees and other things, you know, th there's not much to play with or, or to give to creditors or to your ex or to free up for, for spousal support. Um, you know, and it's unfortunate, you know, a lot of cases, well, most of the cases I do see, I wish they would have come to me sooner because they could have saved themselves a lot of grief and money and and costs that they didn't have to incur. And sometimes they do things that are regrettable, that in hindsight, they're like, oh, I shouldn't have gone about it that way. Not that they did it with bad intentions, but at the time, that seemed the best thing for them to do. Path of least resistance. Yeah, so are, there are definitely pitfalls there. Hmm. So, okay. Um, you know, some of the biggest mistakes I see is... Uh, you know, couples that are in financial difficulty to start off with. Then they decide we're going to get separated. Sometimes the troubles might be because of the finances, actually. Yes. And 
you know, it only get worse when you separate because uh, you were supporting one household before. After a separation, you're, you're supporting two households. So it's two set of expenses. Uh, so this accelerates stuff. And if they're not realistic about you know the source of the financial difficulties and issue it just it gets worse and if one is expecting the other to deal with the debt or these issues that they don't it just gets worse do you find that in in situations i want you to continue talking about um usually i i find myself when i'm dealing with a lot of families is that one spouse knows what's going on with the finances and the other doesn't yes uh that's also unfortunate and that's also what puts a lot of stresses on relationships you know when I do see a couple and I say okay what's going on and one of the two just looks at the other one and points it's like oh I'm busy working all the time he or she takes care of the budget right but it's an impossible task because the budget doesn't balance right <laughs> and there's no communications about goals um, that's often what causes a breakup because mm -hmm. the person taking care of the budget feels incompetent or uh, are very bad but it's an impossible task right. you can't dump that but unfortunately it happens um, and depending who you're advising if you get them alone um, if I get the spouse that was not taking care of the finances it's always a bit of an eye-opener for them um, yeah it's it's a very interesting dynamic so I have a question for you yeah um, and I hear this quite a bit with people is um, if if uh, husband and wife, or there's two spouses together. Uh, one accumulates a bunch of debt, right? And then they're 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 separating all the uh, the marital assets and, and everything. Will one spouse be responsible for the other spouse's debt if, let's say, they go bankrupt or something, and, and then those creditors try coming after somebody? Can they come after the other spouse? No. Okay. You know, basically, when you incur debt, it's under your name. If it's under their name, though. Yeah. But yes. If, but if it's joint. Well, that's two right. Okay, two but, different scenarios. Okay. So, if you incur debt under your name, you're yes. responsible for it. The fact that you get married or you go into a relationship does not make you liable for another person's debts. Okay. Right. Now, when you get debts together, right. like a mortgage, a mm -hmm. line of credit, uh, a secondary card on on a primary card, then you're jointly liable for the debt. Mm -hmm. If you separate, you're still jointly liable for the debt. Right. And you cannot contract it out of it. You know, that's one of the big pitfalls is people separate and they say, well, you know what? My name's on the debt, but it's all your reckless spending that brought that up. You're responsible yes. for it. And then the other party may say, fine, I'll take care of all of it. Right. They make it part of the separation agreement. Uh, now, this person that thinks that he or she's getting rid of that debt will make other concessions. But the reality is this contract is only between the two ex-spouses. It does not bind the bank Correct. or the credit card company. Yes. And, you know, and if the, the spouse taking on the debt saying, I'll take care of it, and that the budget doesn't work, he will default. Yes. He'll wind up in a bankruptcy. He'll wind up doing a proposal. If that happens, that bank or credit card company, yeah, they're going after you. Right. right. And there's nothing you can do about it.
So it will like I'll see people with more or with a separation agreements, right? And they'll say things like, "Oh, you know, spouse is responsible to take over the car loan or that credit card debt." But unless they qualify, and, and usually there's a time frame within that separation agreement that says they must take it over to make for that separation agreement to be final or to be, you know, to be active. But you're right. If that person cannot, if their credit is down the drain and they apply to take over that on their own, doesn't matter. You're still resp- the the other spouse yeah. is still responsible for it. Yeah, and very often what happens is the separation agreements, they're final, but they're kind of open ended, right? It's like oh, one spouse keeps the house, right? They'll take on the mortgage, you know, when they can qualify or whatnot, right? You go to the bank, they say no, we're not going to take it off. Um, same thing with the credit card companies or or the bank loans. Like, why would they take off one of the names? Mm-hmm. You know. The reason you got it in the first place because they were the two names. So they typically don't take that risk. And on top of that, you're now two households, so you're, you're even less solid. Um, so I think that's why it's important. When you're insolvent, you need to seek the help of a licensed insolvency trustee and make that part of the separation agreement. Make sure those debts are dealt with. You, you can, just can't park them and, and hope. <laughs> I mean, you can hope for the best, but you have to plan for the worst. Right. So how does, um, would debt affect, or not even debt, but bankruptcy, would that affect uh, obligations for spousal support or child support or anything like that? Somebody declares bankruptcy, like, could they get out of, I don't think, I'm pretty sure that they can't get out of child support. And I I, I just don't know about the spousal support contract, right? So I do. Okay. (laughs) Awesome. We have the right person in the room. Phew. So someone cannot get rid of child support or spousal support right through a bankruptcy or proposal good that's good enough um if someone owes spousal or child support and they go bankrupt or do a proposal the other spouse has a right to file a claim Mm -hmm. in that proceeding Mm -hmm. and get a dividend of whatever money is going to be there Uh, that gets applied to what they're owed what's left Mm -hmm. survives the process it does yeah Mm -hmm. okay so they're still allowed to collect after that but, but it's important for that spouse that uh, is receiving the child or spousal support to file a claim and participate in the bankruptcy or proposal. Sometimes there's no money, but sometimes there is. So, you know, you mitigate your losses as much as you can, and then you can go for the balance afterwards. If they don't participate, okay, so a husband and wife have separated, they're now, they're now divorced, the, the bankruptcy is happening post-divorce, yeah. um, wife or husband, whichever is the partner that is receiving the child support or, or spousal support, isn't aware that there's a, a bankruptcy going on. How do they know that they have to be a participant in the process? Or, can, or, or do they have a way to find that out? Or Very good question. Um, if someone going bankrupt um, owes arrears of child or spousal support, it has to be on the list of creditors. Oh, okay. They have to advise the ex-spouse. If it isn't, though, people are. Deceiving. What happens sometimes? <laughs> no, is, that I'm doesn't sorry. happen. That never happens. <laughs> I know it does, <laughs> and that's why when I see someone that is on the hook for spousal or child support, I see it on their budget. I know they're recently separated. I'll ask the question: Where do you stand? Sometimes you don't get a clear answer, and you know what? What I tell them is like, you know what? Put your ex-spouse on. For a dollar just to put them on notice because you never know what may happen you know they may vary it's important to protect yourself mm-hmm. and, and and you avoid that uh, the other thing that may happen is in the payer's mind maybe they're thinking i'm paying too much 
you know, I'm fighting this. I don't think it's right. I'm not going to put it as a debt because, you know, they're convinced they don't owe anything or, you know, what the prudent thing is to always put it on. Um, and that way you can get all the issues on the table and deal with them. Um, there's a lot of things you can do during a bankruptcy proposal to deal with these things and bring them to a head. And then it engages me as the licensed insolvency trustee to kind of arbitrate and deal with that. Um, it helps me plan the file too and how we're going to approach it. Mm. And, and in a lot of these cases, I want to reach out to the aside because uh, a lot of times they're going to be, uh, they're not going to be happy and adversarial. And, you know, and there are things we can do for that party as well to, to help bridge that. So if we don't know about it or it's hidden, it just it makes everything else complicated, more complicated. I mean, you can still deal with it, but it's, I'd rather know than not. <laughs> mm -hmm. And usually I find that if they don't tell you, you're going to find out. Yeah. And so I, that's what I always try to tell my clients is, you've got to tell me everything up front because I'm going to find out. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, m m most times too, like judges don't really like that when Correct. you try to hide things. Right. So I, yeah. I, I always tell my clients when I'm going through, you know, their financials, I just say, you know, you can have everything tucked under a mattress, but if someone eventually someone's going to find out, mm -hmm. and when they do, it's going to come back to bite you, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah, that's generally true. Uh, you tend to find out about everything eventually. Yeah, I mean, your creditors know a lot about you based mm -hmm. on past applications, right. interactions they had with you. Uh, if some creditor goes after your ex spouse because of a joint debt, I mean, they're going to find out about the process one way or another, right? Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is um, uh, there is one type of debt you can get rid of in a bankruptcy or proposal, and that's uh, if you owe anything for equalization of right. assets. Right, right. So um, that gets wiped out by the bankruptcy or proposal. It then includes the equalization of exempt assets, okay, such as pensions. Right. And where that's important is oftentimes the most valuable asset is the pension. Mm -hmm. Pensions are not seizable in a bankruptcy or consumer proposal. Right. I can't touch them. Mm. Um, but it has value to the other spouse. Right. Mm. And it's important that uh, they deal with these issues uh, before the bankrupt spouse or the spouse in a consumer proposal is discharged because the, the non-bankrupt spouse may lose rights after mm. that, including okay. rights to exempt assets. So. Um, yeah, because that's one of the things you mentioned earlier. So exempt assets and non-exempt assets. Maybe you can tell the, everyone who's listening a little bit about that. Absolutely. So um, there are exemptions under the Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act. There are federal exemptions. And there are also provincial exemptions. Most of them are provincial. So in Ontario, for example, uh, your household furniture and effects are exempt okay. up to $11,300 approximately. And this is resale value, so it covers most of everything. So if you were to have a yard sale or an auction, how much would you get? You do you don't get much for mm -hmm. uh, used <laughs> furniture. Uh, you get the exemption on one car, so equity of about six thousand dollars on a car. Uh, tools of trade, mm -hmm. you also get an exemption for. Um, so that would be um, you know if you're a contractor, you know your tools, your trailer, stuff like that. In some cases, uh, you can add the car in there as well. Mm. Um, under federal legislation, RRSPs are exempt. You know, uh, the only thing that can get clawed back are contributions you made in the last 12 months. Mm -hmm. So for the most part, RRSPs are, are exempt. Um, oftentimes, I see people that 
use their RSP to uh, to try to deal with their debt situation or part of it, mm-hmm. then they don't. They still wind up seeing me. Then I'm like, damn, if you would have seen me a, a year ago, you wouldn't have wasted these exempt assets on, right. on, on bad debt. Yeah, um, um, and there's a few more, but those are the main ones. Okay. Uh, and for most people, uh, it covers the whole gamut. You know, and of course, if you have a house and it's fully mortgaged, we just look at the equity. Right. Uh, oftentimes, there is no equity, and you get a small exemption in Ontario. So if the equity is minimal, below $10,000, it does not vest in a trustee, or it's not something we'll seize. Same thing, if the car is financed or loaned, there's hardly ever any equity in those. Right. So um, they're not exempt, but they're secured. There's no equity for the estate. So that's a good question. So yeah. if, if a... If a- if a client had a house, and yeah. let's say a large portion of that of that house is paid off, right? So, say a four hundred thousand dollar home, and let's the mortgage is only two hundred thousand. What happens in in bankruptcy in that situation? Like, the, like can they be like basically told to leave your house? <laughs> well, if someone's got two hundred grand of equity in their house, they're not going to go bankrupt. <laughs> okay, we're going to okay. do a proposal for them. Right. So, you know, the creditors will expect to recover as much in a proposal than they would in a bankruptcy. So we have to figure out what that amount is right. and how much they would have to pay monthly right. uh, to, to, to make a proposal that would be acceptable to the creditors. Mm-hmm. Um, and with someone with that much equity, uh, perhaps they could refinance. Um, let's say they can refinance for $300,000 uh, and get $100,000 out of it. That $100,000 can be used to pay a part of the proposal or the settlement. Okay. Okay. Um, but they wouldn't force people out of their homes or something, or would they? Or force them to sell it? Or something? Um, well, if if you go bankrupt, the equity in that house vests in the trustee. Okay. So the trustee will want to realize on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, want to start that one over? <laughs> Sorry. That was bad. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, a little drag race going on out behind us here. <laughs> no, but that's in, that's interesting because you know, like from my perspective, doing the mortgages is that that's what we would encourage. Try to come in, see if we can, even if it's a second mortgage, um, to, to put you know a second mortgage on to pay off some of that debt before you get to the point of having yeah. to you know, discuss bankruptcy or consumer proposals, credit counseling, whatever you know, yeah. they decide. But Yeah, you know, and it's not like we force bankruptcies on people. So if this individual comes in my office and sees me, it's like, well, look, you've got 200 grand of equity in the house. If you want to keep the house, you have to find a way to, to pay that in the bankruptcy right then we'll discuss how we can do that mm-hmm. <laughs> or okay. you know part of that is we're going to do a proposal but we have that discussion here's the issue here's what's going to happen then we look at solutions you know we speak to uh to a mortgage broker you know to see what it is what is possible mm-hmm. you know and you play with the variables to come up with an outcome if it doesn't work out well maybe the person cannot afford to be in that house and that forces a different type of discussion yeah. mm-hmm. you know a lot of times it's the client that will have the answers you know mm-hmm. they know what's important to them or not and right. what they're willing to give on or not you know but at least we lay it out for them and they can make the decision i'll guide them i'll suggest <laughs> what i think they should do but ultimately it's their decision um you know and they have to do something eventually mm-hmm. um is there one that's yeah. worse over the other i was just gonna ask that which is the less of two evils yeah, yeah there you go <laughs> Uh, in what way? Well, like, you know, like you hear, con- I, I know some people might be confused about what is a consumer proposal as compared to what is a bankruptcy and, and how does it affect your credit rating 
like over over the course of you know five six seven years right like which one which one is probably the best for a client to kind of get through it and be done with it in, in the past as quickly as possible uh well i have a unique take on credit ratings um to me clients should not be making decisions based on credit rating uh, it's really got to be on your capacity to pay and what you can do um so you know, for example, if you go bankrupt, you're gonna get uh, what's called an R9 yep. credit rating. Yep. You're gonna get that for the duration of the bankruptcy mm -hmm. plus six years. So uh, for someone that has no surplus income and it's their first time bankruptcy, you're looking at the nine months of the bankruptcy plus six years, six years, nine months. Mm -hmm. But for someone that has a lot of income, then it's gonna be a 21 month bankruptcy at a minimum okay. plus the six years. And for someone that's filing a second bankruptcy or more, which we see more and more now, it's going to be 24 to 36 months plus potentially the six, six years. years. Okay. And that's the R9. With a consumer proposal, uh, right off the bat, you're going to get an R7 for the duration of the proposal mm -hmm. plus up to three years afterwards. Uh, a lot of times they'll get cut off at seven total. It, it depends on the credit bureau. They're not always consistent. Mm -hmm. which is why it's important for people to look at their credit bureau mm -hmm. shortly after doing a proceeding because and there's two uh, there, i think there's two there's, there two are. Actually, there's a third one equifax uh, transunion and, and is there a third uh, yeah i don't mm -hmm. know what it's called but i i think there's a third one well there's there's a couple of new entrants in the market experience uh experience. yeah experian or something and then there's yeah. another one that crept up online that I've been getting calls on, but it's just, uh, it's in a beta form in Canada. Like it's calling me a lot of grief. <laughs> Interesting enough, I had a client in my office yesterday, or I pulled a bureau for a client yesterday, and um, they thought they were discharged in 2007 or something like that, or 2009. And I said, well, you didn't even file your bankruptcy till 2009, and it was discharged in 2012. Hmm. And so I said, you know, October 2012. So I said, bare minimum, we've got till October of this year before it's gone. And so, but now that you're saying that, it took three years to discharge. Hmm. So does that, so can I, is there a way for me to look at that to say, oh, well, that this is their second bankruptcy? Because I didn't ask. They didn't offer that. Uh, yeah, you can ask or um, you can also do a search online at uh the Office of the Superintendent of Bankruptcy. Okay. Uh, it's $8 a search. Or um, if you have a licensed insolvency trustee friend, you can always reach out to him. What a wonderful idea! <laughs> because uh, searches. It was a BDO bankruptcy. Okay. Because searches for uh, licensed insolvency trustees are free. So Yay. I can pull that up. Thank it's you. Good to have friends. Uh, it's good to have friends. No, but, but I just, it, it didn't, it actually dawned on me last night when we were thinking, when I was thinking about the fact that we were meeting today, um, that it just seemed odd because usually a lot of mine I see are nine months. Nine yeah. months after bankruptcy, mm. they're discharged. And so when my client was adamant that it had been more than, you know, X amount of years, I'm like, it's still on your credit bureau. It did not discharge. And then I started doing the math. I'm like, it was three years. So now what you're saying is that yeah. it could possibly have been a second bankruptcy. It possibly. Or it was one where there was surplus income and they were in for 36 months. Okay. Right? Um, the other interesting point is if it's a repeat uh, bankruptcy, it stays on your bureau more than seven years. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, those stay on 10 to 14 years, depending on the bureau. Right. Do creditors look at, look at the consumer proposal and the bankruptcy as the same thing? Um, I'm not going to lie to you. Some do. 
Okay. Um, say, for example, you go to a, a retail store and you apply on the spot for credit. Mm-hmm. Um, they just get a very brief summary on that. And it's called anything, a soft hit, I think. Eh? Yeah. And anything they see as some filing under the Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act, they assume it's a bankruptcy. Mm. You get declined. Right. Uh, it is not, however, when you pull your bureau, it's it's crystal clear. But there are there's a little bit of ignorance on that out there. Right. Um, the banks are not going to get confused by that, however, mm. or the more sophisticated creditors. Mm. Um, you know, the fact that you've done a bankruptcy or done a proposal does not mean you can't get uh, debt or qualify for stuff. Mm. Uh, it just means it's a little bit harder. You have to explain what happened, okay. and you have to make sure that your credit bureau is coded properly. Right. A lot of times it's not. Someone misreported something. Right. Happens all the time. Okay. okay, so I think we're going to wrap yeah, things just, up there. Is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you'd like to sort of just give us some more information? We asked lots of questions, veered right. off some of the questions we said we might ask. but um... uh, you know, One piece of advice is uh, quite simple. You know, If you're in financial difficulty and you have a lot of debt, you know, whether it's before you're separating, after, doesn't matter. Just get advice and get it as early as you can. The earlier you get in and get advice, the more options you will have and the better you'll be for it. If you can deal with your issues um, and be proactive about it, uh, everyone's going to be better for it. It's going to be a win-win and then you can focus on putting the money where where it's most important. And if you have kids, you know, often it's supporting the kids and making sure they're taken care of. I feel better already just yeah. talking to him. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. It's been yeah. great having you. Yeah. Pleasure How do people to be here. get a hold of you? Uh, they can get a hold of me in a couple of ways. Uh, so our head office is uh, on Elgin Street in Ottawa. And uh, we also have offices all over eastern Ontario. Mm-hmm. So they can reach us at uh, 613-235-5225. They can also reach me by email at abolduc, B-O-L-D-U-C, at bdo.ca. They can also go to divorcenet.ca. I'm on there. And uh, there's also a bunch of information on our website. It's uh, debtsolutions.bdo.ca. And there's also a link there to all our 120 plus locations across Canada. And uh, there's an LIT in every community in Ottawa, uh, in Canada. So mm-hmm. lots of information out there. Great, great. Well, thanks again. and. Uh... We'll see you again next time. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks.